Well, friends, welcome to Above Par. This is a very fun episode. I have my brother on. He's a tour player. He played on the PGA Tour, Champions Tour. Now he coaches at the University of Florida, and it's so nice to have him on. We just really are having a conversation about golf and the mental part of golf and expectations and things comparing the average amateur to a PGA Tour player. And I think you're going to find a lot of great value in this podcast and the next podcast because I allocated 30 minutes to have an interview with them or a conversation with them. And we went on for over an hour and I had a client waiting for me, so I had to cut him off. So anyway, I'm excited for you to listen to what Dudley has to say and what he has to share. And I think you're going to get a lot of value on it. So without further ado, here is my interview with my brother, Dudley Hart. Hey, Dudley. Hi, Kath. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on my podcast. My pleasure. Uh, you know, it's nice to know that you've been probably doing this for six months and you finally got around to asking your brother. Yeah, that's what I was waiting on. So I knew you were going to say that. That's why it was a little slow in the beginning. And I want to say that Joe was just more eager to come on my podcast. Joe actually knew I had a podcast. And I actually know that you don't, because I'm going to tell you what my podcast is about. And I know you don't actually listen to it. Because when I asked you, did you listen to the podcast with Joe? You're like, yeah, you got to send me the link. I don't know how to do podcast things. So, <laughs> Well, I did listen to that one. Yeah, it was very that was good. A- that was a good and I didn't take it around. personal that I didn't take it personal that your the brother we just found out that we had like a couple of years ago was asked to be on before the one that you've had you've known you've had the whole you know your whole life so I don't it doesn't really bother me much I, I know because his story is a little more interesting than yours you're just like a tour player <laughs> yeah <it's true. laughs> you played, you played tour your whole life then the champions tour and now you're coaching um, up at the University of Florida I mean Nobody's really interested in that, but they really are interested in a lawyer who comes into a golfing family and was a golfer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I want (laughs) to remind you, which I told you before, is that I can edit out anything. So if you start slamming me or talking like really bad, I can edit that out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm anticipating it. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know it is. So anyway, so no, I do appreciate you being on here. And just to really, without being sarcastic, but maybe a little sarcastic, my podcast is about, it's called Above Par because I try and help people think above par so they can play below par. That's kind of like the the saying. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that, as you know, I'm the perfect person to do this because I sucked at it like really badly. And you know that because you grew up with me. And, uh, (laughs) but all of my nerdy book reading stuff that you made fun of me about paid off when it all clicked and came together. So, um, so that's how I help people right now. And I wanted to talk to you about some of your perspectives. Cause of course, like I said, you got on the tour as a, you're, if I remember correctly, you were the only recruit out of college that made the tour. Is that right? Yeah. For back then it was a little bit more rare in the yeah. dark ages. Um, yeah. So I was the only one to come out of college straight out of college for a couple of years. Right. And you've known technically no other life other than tour life until right now. Now you're helping coach the team at the University of Florida. Like you have a job. Yeah, I actually have a real job. I had to pass a background check, which was kind of (laughs) worrisome. (laughs) I wondered what the statute of limitations were on some of some certain things, but uh, somehow I passed that uh, that background check and uh, got my first job. I actually have a real office, not like a office at home where I just throw papers and mail and stuff like that. But, uh, um, I'm actually 
having the time of my life. It's, it's, it's been a blast. Uh, you know, there's some challenges that I didn't expect, but the golf side of it is kind of what I know. It's all I've done my whole life and, uh, trying to, trying to help kids, uh, um, achieve, achieve their dreams that, that, that were aligned with the dreams I had at their age, uh, is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I remember calling you and I was asking you just some random question. I said, women, do you have an office? Like, cause I, someone, I think came in and talked to you and I was like, you're like, yeah, I'm sitting at a desk. I was like, that's weird. Yeah. Every other time and I, I have my name you. outside the door. I actually oh my have my God. name on a little plate. All right. So I'm, de- I'm definitely coming up. I got to see this <laughs> <laughs> A plate. Does it say just, what does it say? Dudley Hart. And then it was like, yeah. okay, I got to keep this clean. It says, then- it says has been underneath yeah. it. <laughs> And everybody was like, cool. Like, what's yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the kids and the and the school is they're, they're so fortunate, really. And I mean this genuinely, not sarcastically, but they're fortunate to have you there with all of the, you know, the history and the knowledge and the information and value that you offer all those kids. So they're um hopefully the kids are appreciating it too. But okay, so I wanted yeah. to talk about that, a couple that had of different, to hurt to say. I know I know I'm like threw up in my mouth a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do kind of mean it. Kind of mean it. Okay. So I want to talk about a couple of things from your perspective that might help my audience. Right. And so most of what I coach is just how to manage your thoughts and emotions, but it's also bigger than that. And I talk a lot about uh, that on the podcast. It's also about how you treat yourself, your relationship with yourself, how you treat yourself after the round that can affect how you play. Also some of our expectations. So I want to start with that. And I'm going to tell a story about, I tell stories about you on my podcast. So you should probably listen. But one of the ones that I talk about is I remember playing with you. Now you've been known, you had some like nicknames of like, you know, having a temper and stuff like that. And I remember playing with you one time when I was more, when I was doing this work than when I was playing or teaching for a living and you hit a shot and I was kind of waiting for you to react to it, like that you were annoyed or irritated. And you made the comment, well, I'm going to hit some of those during a round. That's kind of what I do. I think it maybe was a fade with your driver. I don't actually recall. Yeah. And you're like going, yeah, well, that's kind of what I do. I'm going to hit a couple of those. I expect that. And I thought that's so valuable, I think, for the average amateur because their expectations, I run into this a lot with my clients, is their expectations are unrealistic. And when we know that when we have unrealistic expectations, we get frustrated. A lot of them think that, and I've had conversations with you about this before, is that they think they should hit it better one, then they hit it on the range and two better than most tour players. So can you touch on that a little bit on your experience? Cause you've played in a gazillion pro ams too, like people that you run into there about just about expectations for the average amateur and on your expectations yourself for your game. Yeah. Um, I would say for the average amateur, um, they really should look partially in how much true time they put into playing and getting better at golf. Um, what they want out of it. And, um, generally speaking, most amateurs, understandably, if I was not doing it for a living, I probably would warm up and go play with my buddies and do the fun stuff, not do the hard work on the range. Um, if they see that, I think part of the problem with expectations, even for good amateur players, they see, they watch golf on TV and TV is showing six to eight players at the most in around in a, in a, in a certain week. And obviously all those players are playing good. Most of them are putting really good. Everything looks so perfect, but they're not showing the guys that are struggling that week, trying to grind out and make the cut. And they've got big misses going and they're kind of working around it. Um, and trying to just play within themselves to see if they can make the cut and 
maybe get something going on the weekend or they're trying to finish in the top 40 on Sunday, grinding, you know, trying to get it up and down from everywhere. Um, tour players struggle, period. I mean, they all do. I mean, unless your name's Tiger Woods and he didn't have a lot of struggles in his life, but uh, oh, well, life. not on, <laughs> off the golf course for sure. Yeah, maybe yeah. off the golf course, but we're talking yeah. golf. Um, and I, th- I think you should have realistic expectations. I- I'm okay with you expecting, expecting to be uh, better than you are, no matter what level you're at, but you have to be willing to do the work. Yeah. And I say this and this, I have a saying that I've told the guys on the team um, and a lot of other people that have asked me about this kind of stuff. And, and um, you, you, there's a lot of people in life, whether it's wanting to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an NBA player, uh, a golf teacher, a golf pro, whatever it might be that they want to do something, but they don't want to do what it takes to get to that point. If that makes sense. And I'm not trying to slam anybody, but you just have to be honest with yourself. Do you want to be a five handicapper? And you're currently at 15. What's it going to take to get to that point? Well, there's probably a lot of things that have to go up, but you have to come up with a plan on how to fix maybe your short game, your putting, your your iron play, your course management. You know, there's endless things to 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 touch, and you have to have a plan on how you're going to do that. And and if you're if you're like, well, I I want to be a 10, and I take one lesson a month, and I practice for maybe five hours total in that month, well, you're not going to get a whole lot better. I mean, you know that better than I do. I mean, it's, I try to tell people, I say, when I was making big swing changes, when I was younger, it could take two weeks to multiple months for me to get it where I didn't have to think about it. And that's two weeks. You know how much I practiced. It was, Mm. you know, three to 500 balls a day Mm. working on something. Right. I I just had this conversation with you a little while ago, because I put out this quiz or inquiry into like a Facebook teacher group. And I just was like, how, you know, I asked, cause I asked you too, how long do you think it takes for an average golfer giving in, you know, I knew that all these golf pros teaching pros were going to sit there and go, well, it depends on the weather. And like, you know, so I was putting as many like parameters I could, they putting in, you know, maybe three days a week of practice, which for a lot of amateurs is a lot they're putting in, you know, they're taking lessons and they're trying to make a swing change or whatever it is. They're being monitored. How long of a time span do you think does it take to make that one swing change. Of course, there's so many different things. It could d- depend on how complicated it was, yada, yada. But it was interesting to see, because then I asked you, do you remember me asking you that question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and so the average the average teaching pro, it ranged from never, <laughs> right? That Because yeah. people will sometimes abandon it just out of frustra- frustration, sure. or they don't um, you know, keep up with it two months, um, to make a swing change. And the, and yeah. I use that. I think that is good for average people to know, or everybody to know if it takes that long for you to make a swing change, the opposite is also true. It takes a long time for you to mess up your swing. So when people sit there and say, I lost my swing, it's too hard to lose your swing. You can mess up your setup. You can mess up your tempo, sure. right? But for you to mess up your swing takes equally as long or hard. But what would be your answer to that for the average guy trying to make a swing change or girl? Uh, to like the amount of time you mean? Yeah. So a tour player so, to make a swing change, like they're on the range. I, I say when you get to a certain level, like when you're playing competitive golf, you're a tour player or golf pro, you're, yeah. you play, you're playing whack-a-mole a lot of times, meaning you're trying to keep bad habits from coming back. And that's what a lot of practice is. So when they go and make a swing change, 
right? Their expectations aren't going to be huge. That's going to happen really fast because they're already at a certain, you know, competency. So, so for you making a swing change, because you've gone through it so many times and know the, understand the process, right? So there's an appreciation of the process. The average amateur is just like, you know, come on, let's go, let's get it done. I should have it by now. Yeah. It's well, I mean, that's, that's a really unrealistic thing because it's, it's just, it's such a hard thing to train a motor pattern in a short amount of time. And most amateurs don't have the time They have real jobs. They're not, you know, they're not playing golf for a living and that's their job. And they're up to, you know, every day doing that. Um, they're probably lucky if they get out two, three times a week. And when they do that, do they really want to spend two hours hitting balls, um, working on a swing change? And honestly, even if you do it, you know, one time a week for two hours at a clip, probably going to take you a long, long time to make certain changes, if right. ever. Right. And I, I'm not, I don't mean this to be discouraging. I just mean it to go back to this expectation thing. Mm-hmm. You kind of get what you, you get out of it, what you put in kind of thing, you know, with a lot of things in life. And, and uh, you know, if you're not trying to be a highly, highly competitive golfer, to be honest with you, and I'm not trying to kind of slam or take money out of any golf teacher's pockets. I just think I would personally focus on going on the course with people. Mm-hmm. Okay. What shots are you capable of doing? Well, we're not going to hit this shot to that pin. We're not going to try it because you just can't, that's not going to come out of your, out of your arsenal very often. You, how are we going to chip and putt? How are we going to get around the green? That's, that's where you can really, really save shots without putting a lot of actual you know, ball beating time on the range and, and, uh, understanding just strategies, what to hit off certain tees to hit it to certain windows. So you can avoid this bunker that you don't want to hit it in or hit it here. And maybe I can hit a bump and run. So I want to do the best I can to make sure I don't short side myself on this hole. So I can, I can handle this chip, but if I hit it over there, I could probably make a double. Well, there's one or two strokes you lose just trying things that you're not capable of. Um, yeah, I agree. And, so uh, one of the things that I do with date with with expectations too, because I talk about it from a mental standpoint, I say that you have a you have a a bucket of talent, a pool of talent, right? On how you can hit shots right now at this given moment in time. It doesn't mean it's going to be tomorrow or down the road, but right now, if you went out to the range, and this is the simple way I do it, I'm like, just hit, and I know you do like a lot of track man and more advanced things, but for the average person, go out there and hit 10 shots with each club on the range when you're pretty relaxed and there's not a whole lot of, you know, golf course drama going on as far as water and out of bounds or people and see how many you can hit out of 10. And that's your rough percentage of what to expect on the golf course. Going back to what I said about you knowing your stats, well, I'm going to hit two to the right. That's what I do. You know, hopefully it's not going to happen when there's trouble on that side. So when they do that, they go out because they go on the golf course thinking they should make every 10 footer or six footer, but on the practice area, they can only make like three of them. So once they see those stats, they can lower their expectations because when our expectations are too high, we lead to a lot of frustration. That's why people become miserable, right? On the golf course. So that's one of the things that I use is like, take, learn how to take what you can right now, make the most out of that. Then you're really playing to your potential at this given moment and then start working on your skill set. Right. Get out yeah. of your own way, basically, is kind of what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and truthfully, your average amateur is playing this game for fun. Yeah. You know, they might want to be competitive and win a couple bucks off their buddies when they play or maybe play well in the member gas. I get it. Um, uh, but I'm like, if you're if you're doing things to make this less fun, then why the heck are you doing it? Because we right. everybody's got enough stress 
right. in their lives that you're going to go on the golf course and do something that frustrates you all the time. I mean, we all get frustrated time to time and, and, yeah. and I get that, but, uh, I, th- I think the more they can, they can understand that, you know, listen, I play two times a week. I'm probably going to hit, you know, if I'm shooting 85, I'm probably going to hit, let's say you're swinging, you're making 40 swing, some swings out of that. And 15 of those are going to be crap. Right. And 10 might be really good. Yeah. Two might be amazing. Yeah. And then the rest somewhere in between. And you just have to go, okay, that's good. Unless I'm willing to invest more quality time, it doesn't have to be hours and hours a day, but you have to have a plan, like Mm -hmm. literally have a plan. Like I, I, I had these semi fancy little uh, notebooks made up for our guys and they all have one in their bag. And, and, uh, and I want them to write in the first page, their tendencies within their golf swing, their, their, their flaws that they always have their checklist, whether it's pre-movement thoughts or movement thoughts, their putting issue, you know, whatever it is that they, so I'm like, anytime you get off and this is what dad taught, taught us, this is where you start, go to your checklist and make sure all this stuff is in order before you start changing everything else. So I think for the average amateur that can't, you know, or can't or won't uh, devote the time to really, really consistently working on it, mm. having a basic checklist. So when they warm up, they put an alignment stick down on the ground or a club, they check their ball position, they make sure they're set up. So when you're in the right spot before you ever move the club away from the ball, will really go a long ways in helping them have a better chance at hitting more quality shots. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's funny because I just finished a workshop on basically how to level up your game. And it was about having a plan, right? Find the area. Yeah. I, I, I said it's four, four areas. You got a skill you need to learn. You might need to take care of your health and your stretching or your fitness. Yep. Like that can help you up level. It could be your mental game. Like you need to work on some skills and on the conversations you have in yourself, getting over negative emotions, you know, all the other things. Or it could be course management. So pick something that you need to learn and then create the plan. And like you like, which is similar to what you just said. See, look at we think a lot alike. (laughs) That's scary for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was I didn't expect that one to come out of you. I thought you were gonna say the other way around. So anyway, yes, but the same thing. You gotta have a plan going out there. And I think expectations are one of those things that really get a lot of players in in their, uh, in their own way and holding themselves back and why golf might be something that people do for fun. I always talk about, it is all about how it makes us feel because that that's your quality of life. Like if the game is making you miserable, it might be a big part of your life, even though it's just social, but if you're constantly frustrated and beating yourself up, that's worth looking at, not just quitting the game, but worth looking at why you're doing it. What are you making the game mean? about yep. you and how you're showing up and, you know, your enoughness. That's what a lot of times happens when people miss shots. Then all of a sudden out comes all the negative conversation. Like I suck. I'm never going to be good enough. So let's talk about negative conversations. So yep. we hear them all the time. I tell people, you know, it's just natural for us to have negative conversations in our head. The difference is, is whether we believe them and listen to them and let them affect our next shot. So Let's talk about it from two standpoints. For I'm going to ask you to talk about it from two standpoints. One is the negative conversations that you've tried to manage for yourself, and then the ones that you hear a lot of times out of amateurs or the kids that you coach. Um, I'm, well, I'm a little similar. nervous about the first one. 
for myself. Yeah. Um, well, you've heard a lot of them because I've oh, yeah. not always been good at keeping them to myself. Um, um, I'm, I'm going to uh, give Dr. Bob Rotella a lot of credit with this because I spent, a, as you know, I spent a weekend at his house, my rookie year on tour a thousand yep. years ago. And I did too. To this day, I honestly don't know if I would have kept my card my rookie year. Who knows? I might never stayed out there for all the years that I did. So, um, um, granted, I wasn't always good at implementing the tools that he gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was looking back at it, now that I'm 53 years old, that was the determining factor on when I had good stretches or good years, and when I had poor stretches and poor years. It literally had very little to do with where my game was mechanically. And and what I mean by that is I'll give you one quick example that I've told the guys here. I was playing the Buick Open a long time ago and and dad calls me on Saturday night and I'm tied for second going into this last round. And he's like, man, go play great tomorrow. You're kicking their butts, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dad, I can't sleep. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, I'm sleeping two, three hours a night. I don't know where the golf ball's going. I said, I feel like I could put, if I hit a normal shot, I could snap hook it or block slice it with a driver and I'm all over the place. And he's like, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I said, I'm just doing what I can. I said, when I have a tight tee shot, I tee it quarter inch off the ground and I'm hitting a low neck cut that I can find. And then I said, anything outside of 150, 60 yards from the fairway, I'm just figuring out how I can try to make a par. And now granted I was chipping and putting my rear end off. So I, you know, right that part of my game was like as good as it could ever be probably. And, but I was just playing within myself and just, just saying, Hey, and every time I, I hit a poor shot, which I had plenty of them. Um, I was just saying, that's all right. Let's go over there and chip it in. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And and this is something that I learned from Dr. Rotel and it's kind of corny and I kind of always get a little uncomfortable telling people this. And this is one of the things that I pulled out of that weekend with him. And he, he just kind of made it, just kind of off the cuff type of thing. And, and, but it really made sense with me and to me. And, uh, he basically said, uh, be your own best friend when you're playing golf. And I'm sure you've heard this. And, and, uh, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, if you're playing with your buddy and they hit a pull hook in the left bunker, are you going to tell them you suck? You should quit. What are you doing playing this game? You're pathetic. You're embarrassing. Would you say that to them? Well, hopefully not. If they're your best friend, hopefully right. not. Maybe if you're playing them for a lot of money, you might try to get in their head, but but your best friend, what are you going to say? You're like, hey, no big deal, man. Everyone hits bad shots. Go over there, find the ball. Let's do the best you can on the next one. And right. that literally, that comment, I would say to myself when I was being not being an idiot um, and wasting time and money, you know, thinking the wrong way. Um, that is the one thing I would tell myself before I played every round of golf. And yeah, during and- the round of golf, hey, just be your own best friend, man. Take a breath. Right. You're a human being. You're going to hit bad shots. I work really hard and I still hit bad shots sometimes. And, and just, just try to, and I just know for a fact, because I feel like my whole competitive life was like a experiment and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. And when, when I was good, I played good mentally. I mean, it just, I played good to really good. Yeah. And when my mind was bad, it didn't matter how good the physical part of my game was. Maybe I'd make a cut you know, because I was just striping it, but I'm finishing 40th when I'm striping it because my mind was crap and, uh, be my own best friend is literally probably the most important words 
in my career. And as corny as that may sound. No, of course it's not corny because the people who listen to my podcast have heard me say things similar to that because the words that we say to ourselves create emotions and those emotions are going to show up on in, in our body and on the next shot. So if you're sitting there telling yourself that you're a jerk and an asshole, you're going to feel uh, deflated or defeated. Yeah. And then you're going to go up to that next shot and you're not going to focus very go- very well and you're not going to you know put your best effort forward. So yeah, it definitely impacts those results, but it's so good to hear from, I'm sure for all my listeners on how simple that is and it helped. But of course, I also make the comment that it doesn't matter how good your golf swing is if you can't manage your mind, it's not going to come out. And you just made that point there, but it doesn't matter how good you were hitting it. If you're being a jerk to yourself or putting pressure on yourself, you can't, it doesn't matter. I, my line is the answer. You're, you're not going to find the answer at the bottom of a basket of range balls because you can hit all the balls you want, but if you're still treating yourself like crap and talking negatively, it can't come out physically. No, you just, you just get in your own way. It just yeah. literally, literally, I'm not making this up. It, it, there's, I've told everybody on this team multiple times there's no tell i mean i can't ever figure it out but there's no telling how much money i cost myself in di- different stretches throughout my career because of that because yeah. i just always struggled because i'm this perfectionist guy and i think if i hit enough balls i'm gonna always hit it good and it's just one of those things i always struggled with and kind of how i'm wired and changing literally the hardest thing i've ever done in my life is changing the way i i think and talk yeah. to myself and treat myself and And, you know, I wasn't always successful. It was harder than any mechanical thing that I, I worked on. And like I said, I'm, you know, I, I, it was a lifelong battle in golf. And I, and unfortunately I, you know, I I said that I went through long stretches of my career. I'm, I'm playing a game that's all I want to do my whole life is play the PGA tour. And I made it really, really hard Mm -hmm. at times. You know, it's just miserable. I'm playing. I mean, I don't have, I mean, I literally live on a golf course, traveling all over the world, playing golf. And I would just tear myself down some, so many times because I wasn't playing perfect golf. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it I, sounds I, crazy, but no. you're doing something that all I, all I did was play and practice all day long. You know, that from high school, college, lucky enough to get out there. Now I'm living my dream. And, and, and it wasn't, I didn't do it to myself all the time, but it was just, it was way, way too often. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously we can't roll back the clock, but I sure, you know, as we get older, we start looking at things and reflecting on things a lot differently. And, and, yeah. uh, I didn't have as much fun living my dream basically as I should have over the course of right 30 years. Yeah. And that's often cause like, and that was one of my epiphanies too, you know, me and how, how miserable the game made me because I was always in my own way. And I had this, I talk about it in my podcast. I used to go out with a totally, uh, a fear of disappointment. I hated to disappoint myself in the way that I showed up. And so what would happen is I'd put more pressure on myself to play well. So I didn't disappoint myself at the end of the round. And it was like a vicious cycle and perfectionism can do the same thing because I was a perfectionist too, right? So perfectionism is a lot of fear of failure. So you go out there putting all this pressure on yourself not to fail, which makes it impossible for you not to fail, right? It's like a a vicious cycle too. So, and until we can really, uh, you know, take a look from the outside, looking in and see what's happening. But I always tell people who listen to this, one of the first signs is like I was pointing out before is if you're really unhappy, you're playing the game, I don't care what level it is. It's worth taking a look at some of those fears or those, some of those dealing with some of those emotions or what you make the game mean so that at least you can have more fun. And when you start having more fun, you play better. The cycle goes the other way too. 100%. 
All right, my girlfriends, there you have it. That is part one. Make sure that you come back next week to listen to part two and definitely check out my website, kathyhartwood.com for any upcoming workshops I have, or if you want to find out more information about how we can work together. I'll talk to you next week. 